Well, good evening, church, and welcome to our Sunday night when life seems to swallow you whole. Thoughts on God's will from the book of Jonah. This is part two. And last week, we began our study with Jonah running from God's call. He was disappointed in God because God was showing mercy and grace to the pagan Ninevites, showing more grace and mercy to them than Jonah wanted. And uh, Jonah just does not want to go, so he gets on a ship, takes off running from the will of God. Isn't it nice that we get to study character flaws in other characters instead of ourselves? But we're meant to see ourselves at so many points. Today we're going to pick up chapter 1, verse 6. And I just want to say there's more grace. I don't think it's, it's a sentimental, surfacy grace, but there's more of the rugged grace of God in these words than most people see. We usually just see judgment. And there is God's chastening hand on Jonah, but there's a deep grace at work that I hope we can uh, see and study together. So let's pick it up. Jonah chapter 1, verse 6. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? There's been this massive storm now. Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come to us. And God, God can get his hand even in this goofy situation. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Who do you think orchestrated that? Here they are worshiping their foreign gods, and God still gets his finger in here to accomplish his will. Verse 8, Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he, that's Jonah, he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So he separates God from the idols that don't do any of those things. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then... They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. There's this, still this self-awareness. Jonah knows what's going on. He knows why this is happening. It's not an accidental random storm. Jonah knows that. 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Interesting, eh? O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on, on, on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Look at this. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord 
and made vows. Let's continue with some of the thoughts here. First, there is no ultimate running from the eye of God. My goodness, he has, he has so many ways of working. The wind, the waves, the sailors, the fish. All these things used to bring Jonah back to God and then back to the Ninevites. I mean, Jonah, he realized from the text some of these, but I'm sure he didn't realize all these things were manifestations of God's grace. That's what he might have missed. But they were. They were manifestations of grace. And, and there's another way to see all this point about, about God's grace. Remember this account of God's tireless persistence. Let me just speak to people that have an unsaved loved one. And you've tried and you've waited and you can't imagine that God has any conceivable way of reaching that person. This book ought to be of encouragement to you. Never write anyone off. God has ways to get into their hearts, their minds, their skins, their situations, their circumstances. What a sovereign, wise God. He has ways you haven't even thought of yet. There is no running from the eye of God. Two, many people are affected when one person sins. It's so often missed, but I think it's pretty important. So Jonah, Jonah is running from God. He's being disobedient. But think what his sin might have meant to other ships in the area who were caught in the same storm. I'm sure that happened. What about the loss of income to many families in the trading business because of all the cargo that was thrown overboard? What about the fear, the agony of the sailors who were on the same ship with Jonah? I mean, we'll see in a few minutes how God in his wisdom can work all things for his glory. But just for now, look at the effects of sin. The effects of sin are real for a lot of people. That sin isn't just a religious thing that doesn't matter. A theological thing. For people who are into that kind of stuff. It's our world's number one producer of pain and misery. Children can be hurt when parents sin. Churches are hurt when Christians sin. Think of David's dead son because of David's adultery. Think of Achan's dead family because of the stolen gold. There's this long list in the scriptures. And if that seems unfair to you, the opposite is also true. With, with equal ripple effect, many reap the blessing when God's people pray and forsake their sin. Has to be one of the best known texts, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, Turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin. Okay, that's their sin. And heal their land. That's everybody reaping the benefits. Point number three. It's strange that during this storm, Jonah, at least for a while, is the coolest man on the ship. It's all the more striking because He's the cause of the trouble. He's the guilty party. And yet, the terrified sailors, they're all frightened. They're all doing their best to cope with this storm, managing things on the ship. 
They have to go and wake Jonah up. He's sleeping. I think there's, I think there's something in this. I mean, as sin settles into the heart, uh, there's, a, there's a certain coldness. It, the heart might start off troubled, but sin settles the capacity to care about the important things. It starts to diminish. The Bible says it's walking in darkness. You can see this through the Bible again. I mean, the men who provoked the flood, they were ridiculing and calm and going about their business, mocking Noah as he worked so hard to build the ark. They weren't worried about it. The people of Sodom, they were horsing around while Lot tried to warn them of God's danger. It just seems repeatedly that, that between sin and repentance, that, that period of time between sin and repentance, there's frequently, if repentance comes, there's frequently a period of, of just dullness. The individual doesn't see what's happening in his or her own life. And it calls for, calls for tremendous patience and persistence in the witness of faithful people. Look at point number four. There is frequently a better reason than we think for the storms that come into some lives. I'm not saying all storms, but sometimes God sends storms. He's, he's, it, it's not mean. He's far too loving to just let people sleep through their sin and rebellion indefinitely. Sometimes he takes away our false sense of comfort and security. Look at that fifth verse. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Have you, have you ever considered God's loving witness? I know it's called the book of Jonah, but have you ever considered God's loving witness to the other sailors, idolatrous sailors who were with Jonah on the ship. I mean, here's what happened. As they were doing everything they could do, calling out to their gods, doing all they could do, their false gods were exposed while God was dealing with Jonah's situation. So they're forced to come to terms with the impotence of their religious practices. That's what storms do. They boil life down to basics. They reveal leaks. They strip away distractions of routine and false comforts and false securities and false devotions. When the storms hit, the false gods are the, are the first to leave. Point number five. See how people come to themselves. Up until now, Jonah has been a bit of a, a phony, a prophet of Israel running from God. And, and let me just say this. There's something in, in that ninth verse that I think speaks to all of us a little bit. We almost feel our own hearts exposed when the text says that Jonah fears God, but doesn't obey God. 
Look at it in that ninth verse. And he said, they're saying to him, who are you? Where are you from? What's your life all about? Jonah answers, verse nine. He said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And I would submit to you that, boy, there's an awful lot of that kind of fear of God in the land. In God's eyes, it's, it's empty and fraudulent. And it takes the storm and this great fish that we'll read about. It takes all of that to make Jonah stop and think. Here is the real explanation for the storm and the fish because God cares so deeply about the lost still needing saving light that he can't allow that kind of inconsistent Christian witness to stand uncorrected. There's too much at stake. It's easy to sing the songs and make the profession, I fear God, but at at the points of life where it conflicts with our own interests, do you obey him? The kind of reflection that Jonah experienced the depths of the sea is, is, is meant to be repeated in our own practice at the only corporate religious ceremony Jesus commanded. Corporate. Baptism, you have the individual being baptized in front of the body, so it's corporate in that sense. But I'm talking about corporate in the sense of the Lord's Supper. Paul said, picking up on Jesus' words in, in, a, in instruction about the Lord's Supper, Paul said we were to reflect repeatedly every time we come to the table at at the congruency of our beliefs and our actions. So we don't just say we fear the Lord. Here's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11, 28 to 32. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For everyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that's not the body on the cross, that's the body, the church body. Everyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, We would not be judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. I mean, that's just the the story right there of Jonah. He says he fears the Lord, but he doesn't obey the Lord, and the Lord's bringing all sorts of things into his life, very unpleasant things, to force him to, 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 to line up his life with his profession. I mean... Those words of Paul, they come closer to the theology of the book of Jonah than many realize. We're to examine ourselves so we don't experience the discipline, Paul says, of the Lord. It's not his first choice to send the storm, the trial. It's sometimes a last line of his reaching grace so that we may not be condemned along with the world. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-two. Six. What a clear picture of the wisdom and love of God. Look at verses 13 through 16 as we wrap up. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. 
for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So the harder they're trying, they don't know this yet, but the harder they're trying to get out of what God wants to do, the, the worse the sea gets against them. You can't, you can't win this. 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not his innocent blood on us, his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea. We'll pick up there next uh, Sunday night. And the sea ceased from its raging instantly. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, made vows. Those are amazing words. I mean, Jonah is running from his missionary call, but he's not only crashing his, he's crashing his own life, not the purpose of God. It's always the case. God is still reaching these sailors through Jonah's rebellion. They have long given up calling on their gods, and they're now, albeit for selfish reasons, they're calling on Jonah's God. You, you just see the way God orchestrates this and works in it. It's a, it's a serious grace, not a sentimental grace. And so long before God reaches Jonah's stubborn heart, and long before God gets that message preaching against the sins of Nineveh, bringing them to repentance long before he reaches the Ninevites. God is still really good at what he does and he's actually changing the hearts of these idolatrous sailors. You see the, the wisdom in the whole big picture God. You never judge him by isolated events. He always accomplishes his will and way. Let's pray. Thanks for this strangely wonderful book. Thank you for the lesson of Jonah. Help us to fear God and help us to honor God so that the fearing God doesn't just become an empty profession. And so bless your word to our hearts. Let us be devoted to applying it to our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we'll have Mark and Kim Steinfield with a prayer update before our prayer time from Madrid, Spain. God bless the church. Stay devoted to the word. Love one another.